0: The Guardian. Welcome to The Guardian children's book podcast. I'm Emily Drabble, the children's books editor, and I'm here today with Annabel Picture, who you will know from her amazing books Ketchup Clouds and My Sister Who Lives on the Mantlepiece. And she's here today to talk about her new book, which we've been waiting for, Silence is Goldfish. And here to interview her is a mega fan, Laura, also known as The Dormouse on the Guardian Children's Book Site. So take it away, Laura. So uh, firstly, how did you come up with the idea for Silence is Goldfish?
1: Well, the first thing that I thought of was a girl who takes a vow of silence in rebellion in response to something that's happened to her so the narrator is a girl called Tess who's 15 and she's spent her whole life trying to please other people trying to say the right things to fit in and in particular she's wanted to impress her dad um her difficult fame-hungry status-obsessed father who is A really tricky character but she's spent her whole life trying to say the right thing to impress him but she's never quite felt that she's got his stamp of approval and then one night she discovers why. Um, She discovers a secret about him and in response to that she ends up taking a vow of silence to rebel I suppose in the only way that she knows how against trying to please him all the time. So she was the starting point for the whole book really. I wanted to write about a girl who struggles to have a voice someone who she says a lot but it's always in response to other people and I wanted to write about the process that I think we all go through as young people and adults as well you know to to have the confidence really to find your voice and to be who you really are so it's Tessa's story really.
0: And um, how did you find writing about a character who was shy and quiet because you don't always get that in books often you have sort of more you could say vibrant characters. So.
1: Yeah well, I loved it. I'm all for introverts. I pretend to be extrovert but I'm actually really shy. I'm a real introvert and I find it quite difficult to, I certainly did when I was growing up, to to say what I was thinking all the time. So I really wanted and I felt really passionate about Tess and her story and, and the fact that we seem to live in a world where banter and having great chat is really valued and to be dominant, and to be loud, you know you think about shows like the Apprentice where they're all shouting over each other or you think about Twitter where we just kind of bombard the world with our thoughts and there's no expectation that you're going to listen to anyone or have a proper dialogue with people and I just think that we miss out on a lot and you know the world is full of these kind of quiet introspective people and they don't always get the limelight they don't get a voice and I really wanted to, to give Tess one so that's why I chose her. So um,
0: once you came up with a story for Tess how did you come up with your title?
1: I was walking the dog, which is when I get all my good ideas. I have a lovely cockapoo called Inka, who's three, nearly three, and she's still really bonkers. So I walk her twice a day, and the original title was Scatter, which is just a rubbish title, <laughs> so I knew it was just a working title. And I was out with my dog and thinking about silence and the value of silence, and it was really quiet. I live in the Pennines, so it's really beautiful, quiet, and serene. I was thinking, silence is golden. And then obviously, as you know, if you've read the book, there's a goldfish who's quite important to the storyline. And I suddenly thought, ah, silence is goldfish. And I thought it just kind of summed up the kind of quirky nature of the book as well. I rung my mum, which I often do when I'm walking, and I told her, she's like, yeah, great title. And she asked my dad, and he hated it. Um, But everyone keeps saying it's a good title, so I'm glad I didn't listen to my dad and... Stuck with it. I like the title. Oh good, thank you.
0: You say you're an introvert, so in the book Tess uses silence as a rebellion. Um were you a rebel in any way when you were growing up? <laughs>
1: no. <laughs> not in any way. Um not at all. I was a bit sneaky. Um my sister is kind of much more confrontational. So she had like with my mum, she argued about things, whereas I just went along with the rules but maybe I was doing sly things when my mum didn't know about it sorry mum <laughs> Um but no I wasn't a rebel you know I was really good at school I was um, I wasn't a teacher's pet but I, I was definitely a people pleaser so no I, I don't think I've ever really rebelled Um which is maybe tragic I don't know but <laughs> I I'm a second child so I think it's our job to kind of keep the peace Um and that's definitely my role
0: Who is your favourite character from *Silences Goldfish?
1: Oh, that's really tricky because obviously I got to know Tess really well and spent a lot of time with her, but I think I love the goldfish. Um, But I think Henry, who is Tess's friend in the novel, and I I kind of set it up so that you'd think he's going to be this stereotypical, really gorgeous guy who's just a bit... um, of a jock and actually he's quite a dark character and he thinks really unusual things about what it is to be successful. His view is that we don't always have to be aspiring for more, more, more to live happily and that's something that I really believe and so he's kind of my mouthpiece and I think if I met him we'd have a lot in common, so probably Henry.
0: Henry's quite an unlikely friend for Tess but she also has another friend Yes, Uh, Isabel, uh, Mm. how did they differ writing about the two friends?
1: Oh, I think Isabel is more confident than Tess in lots of ways. She's more comfortable in her own skin. I think Tess feels more of a pressure to kind of fit in in the beginning, and Isabel's, you know, she loves her books, she loves reading, she's happy to go to the library and sit by herself, which is something I definitely wouldn't have done at school. She loves Lord of the Rings, she's got an imaginary... Um well, she kind of writes this fan fiction where she pretends to be an elf and lives out the adventures of Lord of the Rings. And she's just more comfortable in who she is, I suppose. And hopefully by the end of the book, you get the sense that Tess is getting there as well. So yeah, Isabel was really fun. I loved writing their sections. When you're writing, I think some things are really easy to write and some things are difficult. And I always found that their dialogue was something I found quite spontaneous and if anything, I had to try and cut it short because you know, there's a whole chapter that I couldn't include in the book with those two, um, because my editor was like, you know, it's not it's not really relevant. It's just quite funny, and that I, I obviously got a little bit carried away with oh, the let's yeah. Publish that hidden chapter. <laughs> yeah, that would be so fun.
0: All of your books are written in the first person. Why is it that you like writing from the point of view of young people?
1: I think I just. Well there's so many answers to that question um I really remember what it's like to be a teenager that it was such a vivid time of my life that i don't I don't feel very distant. you know some people seem to have been ready made adults from the age of ten. I still feel kind of like an angsty fourteen year old in the body of a thirty three year old so I don't really feel the distance between my teenage self and how I am now. Hopefully there is some, Um, but I don't really feel that and for me writing it's a form of escape and the best way of doing that is to jump inside the head of another character and live through them and you live things that you've been through or you imagine different things and it's just a wonderful escape to be inside that person for a while. And also I think in a really weird way I really wanted to be an actress and I was terrible at acting, really, really bad. You know I went for so many auditions I never got picked at anything apart from non-12 I think in The Sound of Music (laughs) and when I went for the main part and I think writing in a weird way it's a form of performance because you inhabit a character in some way in the way that an actor might do but you're just doing it on the page rather than on stage and I really enjoy that side of it. Did you do
0: any research for this particular book?
1: Yeah I did um I spoke to a lot of various speech therapists about what would you do in this situation if a girl was presented to you with who'd taken a vow of silence and it changed actually how I wrote the book because in the beginning I imagined that she would be a mute and I wrote all these scenes with a speech therapist and then I spoke to speech therapists and they said well this wouldn't be something that we would deal with if a girl who has never had any speech problems suddenly takes a vow of silence that's you know a psychologist's job so we would see them initially but then refer them straight away so that changed the book and I had to take out all the kind of speech therapy sessions which I was quite glad to do because it kind of slowed the story down a little bit and the book isn't really about Tessa's lack of speech it's about why she's doing it and it allowed me to kind of focus on that so I did that. Um, and then apart from that, it's just writing really from personal experience. I took a vow of silence for a weekend. Um, and in fact, in my bag, I'll have to show it to you. I've got a goldfish torch that I bought as well and that I kept in my pocket for a while, like some sort of crazy person um, <laughs> to see how it would feel to have that bond with a fish, um, cause in the book in case you're wondering what I'm going on about Tess has um forms this relationship with this goldfish torch and she communicates to him when she can't communicate to other people so yeah I did quite a lot of things to try and get inside her head and um all
0: three of your books can be quite sad in part so do you ever feel emotional as you're writing
1: oh yeah all the time um Yes, definitely. I've been told that when I write, I kind of mimic the faces of the characters. So for a lot of this book, I think I was frowning <laughs> I'm at the screen when Tess is kind of going through turmoil. That's one of the things I love about it is that you do get to experience things through the story and you get to the happiness and the sadness. And it's it's a way of exploring kind of what it means to be human. And I really love that. So I definitely feel it when the characters especially when I'm writing it in the first draft when I'm editing it later I think you need a different part of your brain to be working so it's much more analytical and cold and you have to cut things out that perhaps you like but you want to feel the story when you're first writing it and if you don't then perhaps there's something wrong.
0: And um, there are lots of difficult things for Tess as a teenager in the book um, including cyberbullying in the story so did you want to send a message to your readers or was it just part of the story?
1: That's a very good question. Um, I don't ever, ever really set out to kind of send a specific message. It's not it doesn't really factor when I'm planning a book. All I'm really bothered about is I want the book to reflect the world that a teenager might live in. And obviously, unfortunately, cyberbullying is a part of that. But it's obviously a nice... Um, It's great if the book does make people think twice about maybe posting something on the internet, Um, but it's not why I set out to do it, but it's, yeah, if that happens, that's obviously a positive.
0: Did you know the whole plot before you started writing, or did you work any of it out as you were going
1: along? Oh, I'd love to be one of those people that knew everything before I started writing, because it would mean that I wouldn't make as many mistakes. But no, I I tend to have a, a start point a rough kind of middle and an end and every time I set out to write a book I buy a notepad and a pen and I try and I'll do chapter one, chapter two and by about chapter five I'm really bored of planning so I just think oh, I'll wing it, I'll just start and then what tends to happen is halfway through I realise I've written 20,000 words wrong so I'll start again and then I'll make another wrong turn and I used to think that that was an imperfect way of working but now I think maybe it's just how I write. I have to kind of be in the story to to have a sense of where it needs to go so unfortunately i think that is the way i work which means that i always underestimate the time it will take me to get something finished which is probably frustrating for my editor
0: which authors inspire you most
1: oh my goodness um all authors inspire me because it's not an easy thing to do you know it's easy to start a book it's really really hard to finish a book <laughs> um and anybody that's had the kind of determination and resilience to sit down and actually write 90,000 words, whatever that book is like, I think is someone that deserves respect. Um, but in particular, you know, I love Jenny Valentine. I love Meg Roseoff. I really like a, an American writer called Matthew Quick. He wrote Silver Linings Playbook, but he also wrote an amazing YA book called Forgive Me, Leonard Peacock, which is one of the best books I've ever read. I love Jenny Downham Um, and all these writers I think just they have very real characters, very strong narrative voices and I suppose when I was starting off that's who I kind of aspired to be so yeah they get my vote.
0: Has writing always been your dream or did you ever think of doing anything else?
1: When I was really little I wanted to test water slides for a living (laughs) Um, and I wanted to be a spy for a while but then I realised it wasn't like in the movies and it's actually quite frightening. I wanted to be a footballer, I wanted to be a doctor, I wanted to be an actress, Um, but writing was the thing I suppose that really caught my interest when I was at an age where you start to think about jobs more seriously. I was at secondary school and I suddenly realised that, obviously I knew about authors, but I suddenly had this really vivid realisation that, my goodness, this is someone's job, this book in my hands has been written by someone in their study at home, and this is what they get paid to do, and maybe I could do that. Um, unfortunately, I never met an author, and there wasn't the internet, believe it or not, when I was growing up. So I had no access to things like Twitter or finding out where these people lived that produced books. And I just started writing and hoped that one day I'd be able to do it. You know, I was lucky that I had lots of really great English teachers who really kind of inspired me and encouraged creative writing and that side of things. So I would say it was probably my first realistic ambition.
0: And now that you are an author, do you have any tips for aspiring young writers?
1: Yes, I do. Um everybody says it, but you've got to read. And I think it's important that you read things you don't like as well as things that you do and to become a critical reader. So rather than just lazily kind of reading your favourite things over and over again, try and challenge yourself and think, well, what is it about this book that I really love? What if I had to nail it, you know, if I had to pin it down What is it that is working here? Or if a book kind of bores you, what is it about this novel that is turning me off? Um, Is it the characters? Is it the themes? Does the pace feel too slow? So you're really analysing books. I didn't do any creative writing course, but I did do an English literature degree. And I think it was a really good training for being a writer because you learn to pick books apart. If you can pick books apart, you can actually assemble them. And I approach my writing very much like an English literature graduate in that I think of my themes and my characters and the structure and the pace. So that would be a top tip. Also writing, you've got to become a writer. And to become a writer, you have to write every day and make it a priority. And that is surprisingly difficult when you're maybe at school and there's TV and Internet. But sitting down and thinking 15 minutes a day, every day, and sticking to it, because that's the only way I think that you'll have the discipline to actually ever finish something, which is the aim. I'm reading from chapter one, and Tess has just discovered that her dad isn't her real dad, and that she was in fact conceived by sperm donation. She finds this out one night, and when her parents have gone to bed, she runs away, hoping to track down her real father and she's wandering the streets of manchester and she thinks she's going to hail down a cab and get taken to manchester piccadilly train station and go to london to find this man who she knows is out there somewhere her real dad and but this is what happens when she flags down the taxi i've got a load of change in my coat pocket and the prospect of getting in a cab feels sort of magical, like wow, I can just fling out a hand to stop a black chariot and pay a few gold coins to go anywhere I want within reason and a nine pound budget. And the place I want to be is Manchester Piccadilly train station, because the place I ultimately want to end up is Finsbury Tower 103 to 105 Burnhill Row in London. And I chant these words again and again in my head, so it's a surprise to hear my mouth tell the driver my home address when I finally flag one down that up by Chorlton Grammar School?" he asks as we do a U-turn. There's still time to change my mind. I'm ready to go and the goldfishes too, but I mutter, That's it, yeah, the first right after the school. It's one of the middle terraces about halfway down the road. We set off in the opposite direction to the station, and in no time at all we are turning onto my street. Something more should be happening, something big enough to account for the mad beat, beat, beat of my heart. But no, we're decelerating, coming to a stop outside my front door. Everything about my house is the same. The same silver number is displayed above the same silver letterbox. The same curtains are hanging in the same lounge window. And this evening, no doubt, I'll be the same girl sitting on the same sofa, watching TV in my tiger print onesie, when a mouse one would be far more appropriate. £6.50 when you're ready. I hand over some cash, but don't get out, pretending for a few more seconds that I really might do something big and brave for once in my decidedly small and timid life. This is the one. Yeah, I reply, but I make no move to open the door. The driver, almost but not quite, turns to look at me. You are okay, aren't you? It's nice of him to ask, but his voice is heavy with obligation and his eyes are tired, Like, here's just another messed up teenage girl wandering the streets after a disastrous evening is the precise look on his face as he half-surveys my own. Maybe if he'd twist a bit further or cut the ignition or take his hands off the steering wheel rather than gripping it so tightly. Maybe then I'd tell him what I saw last night. Instead, I pull myself together. I'm fine. The sky is crying. Relieved or disappointed by my return, it's hard to tell. I stand in the rain, staring up at the house. Taking in the fact Mum and Jack's bedroom curtains are still closed, so they will never know I ran away for four hours and thirteen minutes. The cab disappeared as I unlocked the front door. I tiptoe into the house, wondering why it still feels like home. For more great downloads, go to theguardian.com slash audio.